Hello, I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Michael Barr. Scott has the day off, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports today. We begin with word that the NFL is considering expanding its regular season schedule to 17 games as part of the next collective bargaining agreement. Eben, we got confirmation of this from Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones in remarks he made on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. And no secret that the NFL wants to expand the regular season. It's 16 games for every team right now. They want more, uh, and no secret why, right? There is tremendous uh, financial upside for the NFL. You know, networks like Fox and CBS and NBC and ESPN, they pay billions of dollars a year, billions with a B, uh, to broadcast these games. And adding just one more or two more uh, means that those packages, which are up in in two or three years, are, are that much more valuable. Well, are they going to shorten the exhibition season because they're going to have to yeah this is the big question and and again just because the nfl owners want more games does not mean that we're going to get more games we had d smith who runs the players union on the podcast a couple weeks ago and he made it very clear look players players don't want more games right so so this is a negotiation it's going to happen over the next year or so that the two sides are talking right now the current agreement doesn't expire until the end of the 2020 season so there is still time uh but i think the big question is if the NFL owners are pushing for what seems like one game now instead of just two additional games, what do you give up in return? And it, and it seemed pretty clear from what D said and what he said elsewhere, just getting rid of some preseason games is not enough, right? The players want some kind of other and, and probably financial concession if they're going to agree to put their bodies on the line for an additional regular season game. Why don't you put in then two buys? Maybe that'll help. I think two buys is certainly on the, on the table. Uh, eliminating preseason games also certainly on the table. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if there is a, an, ends up being an agreement that gets rid of all four preseason games uh, in exchange for just one regular season game. I think broadcasters would appreciate that. You know, preseason games do pretty well. I mean, surprisingly well from a TV audience. At that point, people are so starved for NFL games that they'll watch yeah. the third strings <laughs> duke it out. Um, but adding one more regular season game, that concentration of eyeballs that you get on a Sunday, I think that's tremendously valuable uh, for leagues. I was actually curious. I mean, one of the big arguments against adding games is uh, is, is injuries, obviously. Um, I look back at the NFL's, the self-reported NFL injury data, Preseason games are much more damaging to players' bodies yes. than regular season games. It actually kind of shocked me. If you look at torn ACLs, for example, um, last year there were 28 torn ACLs in the preseason, and there were 29 torn ACLs in the regular season. And bear in mind that the preseason there's four more, uh, four times more games in the regular season than the preseason. So the same amount essentially of of ACLs. If you look at concussions, preseason 79 concussions, regular season 135 concussions. So not even double, even though there's four times as many games so I think you can maybe make an argument and I imagine the NFL will make an argument that if we get rid of four preseason games and we add one regular season game that maybe this is even healthier for players writ large I'd like to see that well because you know me man with football it's like I sop it up like gravy on this <laughs> but and but I used to be one of those people a long time ago where it's like yeah go ahead add some more games and but, man, the punishment on the players is just unreal. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think that's one of that's, that's the argument that the, the NFLPA is going to make. One other thing that I've seen kind of bandied around the Internet, which I think is really interesting, if you add one more game, you know, certainly if 17 games, not everybody has the same amount of home games, right? So you have to find some way to balance that out. But there's a possibility here of, you know, let's say every team gets plays one neutral site game a year, right? 
and and you can say you know let's say the Steelers and the and the Eagles play in State College. Right, so they pick a venue between them. There are tons of places that love the NFL. That you know, the closest team is hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Think about the if if the Lions played a game in East Lansing, right? Teams can can maybe add a neutral site home game once every two years to a place where they have a lot of fans that has an NFL ready stadium that might not be able to see games locally all that much, right? The Seahawks in Portland. I mean, there's so many possibilities for what that could look like, and I think that might be actually very intriguing for fans. Before we move on to the next topic, did you see the Lions game? I actually was – I meant to ask you, I'm glad you brought it up, what your mind state was like watching uh, watching the Lions game. Did you notice that one eye is bigger than the other eye because (laughs) it just bugged out when I – I couldn't – they put the ball – if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, the Lions, I believe it was on Johnson, and he fumbles – at the goal line, and uh, Kansas City, who they were playing, picked it up and ran it for 100 yards back the other way. Now, what happened is that the Lions were standing around like, "What? What happened?" Even some of the Kansas City players were like, "What is this? Mm-hmm. This is this is a live ball?" And that was the difference. Yes, I know that uh, Patrick Mahomes put the two-minute drive and 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 won the game, but that was the difference in the score right there. Mm. Yeah, and it's underscores a, a, I think a larger question that a lot of NFL fans seem to be having now about officiating and not understanding the rules and how they're interpreted. And and the NFL has added things that coaches can use to try to challenge. Uh, and, and there was some question about the, the the hail mary in the final play of that game, where you can challenge offensive pass interference. Uh, it does feel as though the rule book and and the way it's interpreted is getting more and more complicated as the seasons go by in the NFL. And the irony is that officiating crew who did not blow the whistle, was the same officiating crew who blew the whistle in the Saints game a few previous oh, weeks ago. Oh, I didn't ago. realize that. And, and it actually was a fumble, but they blew the whistle, and the play was dead. They shouldn't have blown the whistle. Hmm. I wish I wish they would have done it now. Uh, anyway, moving on to Major League Baseball. I'm, I feel better now. I vent it. Uh, <laughs> the league just wrapped up a regular season that saw – the lowest attendance in 16 years, despite monster home run totals, attendance across MLB's more than 2,400 games slid by a cool million this year alone. That's a lot. That's 14% below the peak reached in 2007. Yeah, it's the it's the sixth decline in seven seasons in terms of total MLB attendance. Uh, we're now at the lowest, as you said, the lowest total, 68.5 million, the lowest total for Major League Baseball since 2003. Uh, and it's down 14% since the high in 2007 of of, of over 80 million. Uh, so on its face, numbers that don't look particularly great uh, for Major League Baseball and a lot of themes that, that we've discussed in the past. I, what I don't understand still is why. I mean, it, you know, I know some people say, well, baseball is becoming an old man game. Uh, which I should be loving going to the game to see it, but the problem is I don't have the time anymore. Yeah, I think it's. I think part of it is, is fitting it into the schedule. Another part is the the pace of the game. Attention spans are are much much shorter. Certainly, cost is an issue in a lot of markets. You know, it's not. It's still not cheap to if you're driving to a game and parking and taking a family and 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 buying concessions and all that. Uh, so there's certainly a cost prohibitive thing here too. Um, in terms of what this means for Major League Baseball. Uh, there's parts of this that worry me and parts that don't. And the part that worries me is that um, the competitive balance seems to be essentially disintegrating right now in Major League Baseball. We had four teams win 100 games this year. I don't think that's ever happened before. Right. We had four teams lose 100 games this year as well. <laughs> yes. And that's I don't think that's happened in the past 15 years, if not longer. Um, and what that means is, is, one, games are less important and less exciting, and two... 
I think there's kind of, you know, some frustration or maybe distrust among fans across the, the country in terms of, is my team trying to win? Is it worth going to games when my team is going to lose 100 games? Uh, all that, I think, is bad for baseball. What's good for baseball is that top-line revenue uh, is going up, right? It's $10 billion enterprise right now. That's bigger than the NBA, for folks who are curious. Um, the, the Kansas City Royals, one of the smallest and, I would imagine, least valuable teams in baseball, just sold to John Sherman for over a billion dollars. Right. So the, the, the big top level financials are, are good for baseball right now because of media rights. And this brings us back to the other point, right? right. The, because media right is so important and a lot of media rights you get, whether your team is good or bad. Right. It doesn't fluctuate in the way that ticket sales do. Teams have, you know, the incentives are different now. Now the incentive to win back when you were super reliant on ticket sales was very high, right? We need ticket sales. We need to win. We need to get butts and seats. Now, you know, if most of our money comes from, from media rights, maybe there's less incentive to win, which means that competitive balance is less of a concern, which leads to attendance declines, right? So it's kind of a slippery slope. But I see both sides of the argument. Do we need to make an adjustment in the major league season? Do It won't happen, but do we need to cut back on regular season games? I mean, it's an interesting question because, you know, the, the NBA plays 82 games, and I would not be shocked at all if some point in the next 10 years we see that schedule shorten. Yeah. Right, the and Major League Baseball plays twice as many games, right? And, and the reason why you know team Major League Baseball attendance is such a big deal is because they sell so many darn tickets because there's so many games. So is there an argument? Yeah, there, there very well might be an argument for maybe shrinking the season a little bit. Um, it, it would fill out larger parts of of, of the uh, of the calendar. And, and, and bear in mind, baseball starts so early in the year, oftentimes at the end of March or the beginning of April. The weather in a lot of these markets is not great. If you look at baseball attendance, the, the beginning of the season is is not good for baseball, largely because of the weather. So yeah, I think there's I think there's maybe an interesting argument to be made for for possibly shortening games in, in Major League Baseball as well. And finally, let's talk college football in New Jersey, where Rutgers fired coach Chris Ash just four games into the season. That leaves Rutgers on the hook for nearly $8.5 million to buy out his contract. And the move came after a 1-3 and three start, and it did not help <laughs> Coach Ash at all that they lost 52 to nothing to Michigan on Saturday. Yeah, a pretty tough loss there. Uh, so Ash is the first, I believe, of, of what is going to be a lot of coaches that are that are fired over the course of this football season. Also kind of indicative of this new trend, especially in the Power 5 conferences, of coaches getting fired and schools having to pay pretty hefty buyouts, right? You mentioned $8 million that Rutgers now owes to Chris Ash. That's three years, maybe even more, of the next coach's salary, right? So, yeah. so over the next three years, theoretically, they're essentially paying double what they should be paying for their football coach. Uh, just, just so much money being being washed around in athletics right now. Well, welcome to the Big Ten, Rutgers, which brings me to the next question. They wanted to come to the Big Ten. So now is this uh, part of the problem? Yeah, this. I mean, they moved in, in 2014. You know, there were promises of tremendous success both on the field and off the field, everything that comes along with being in the Big Ten. Uh, and Rutgers remains – one of, if not the heaviest subsidized programs in Division One college football. Yep. Uh, just to give you some numbers right quick, 
every year the, the students at Rutgers pay almost $12 million in student fees directly to the athletic department, wow. uh, right? So that's money that comes from your tuition that goes directly to the athletic department. Whether you ever go to a game, whether you ever take part in an athletic contest at all. Uh, and then on top of that, another $15 million that comes from directly from the institution to athletics to help them balance their budget. Uh, the move to the Big Ten in the past five years, Rutgers athletic budget has grown almost 35% from $76 million to, to over $100 million. So they're spending more, obviously, because you have to keep pace if you're spending at Big Ten levels. Uh, I think the big question for Rutgers is, you know, the football team is not good and, and in the near future won't be. Um, but the Big Ten gives a lot of money out because of media rights. Again, they give a lot of money out to all of its institutions. And Rutgers was on a six-year introductory period, right? So Rutgers is not getting the same amount of money yet that Michigan is getting. But in a couple years, when they get to that point where they're getting the same $50 million check every year that Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State get, at that point, can they wean themselves off of the institution? Come on, Rutgers. Come on, get back in it now. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're talking college football, breaking news, our producer just walked in the studio and handed this. It's hot off the press. California will let college athletes hire agents and make money from endorsements to find the NCAA and setting up a likely legal challenge that could reshape U.S. amateur sports. Yeah, the so this is the bill, the California bill that we talked about a few weeks ago. It sounds like California Governor Gavin Newsom signed it as he was expected to. So this is a bill that is now going to become a law starting in January 2023. And what it says, uh, just as a quick reminder, is that California schools are not allowed to restrict players from making money off of their name, image, and likeness. And in more layman's terms, that means that if I'm the star quarterback at USC and Nike wants to sign, wants to use me in advertising, or the local car dealership wants to use me in an ad, or EA Sports wants to make a college football video game and use my likeness, uh, I can now be paid for that. Right now, the NCAA does not let you keep your eligibility if you're signing deals of that nature, uh, and therefore people don't sign deals of that nature. This California bill is aimed at making sure that California schools are not restricting that. And the law also bans schools from kicking athletes off the team if they get paid. It, it prevents that retribution. And, and, and as you said, Michael, this is going to set up a big battle between California and the NCAA. Um, they wouldn't be shocked if this ends up at the Supreme Court in some level. The NCAA has already said if California passes this law and its schools abide by it, we may kick those schools out of the NCAA as a whole. Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State, recently, I think last week, said that Ohio State might stop scheduling competition against California schools, this is USC, this is UCLA, this is Cal Berkeley, this is Stanford, might stop uh, scheduling games against them if they're no longer in the in the NCAA. And then, you know, in the background of all this, other states, in New York being one of them, uh, South Carolina, there's a few others, I believe, are considering legislation of their own. So, so you know, similar legislation. So we've talked a bit about, you know, the NCAA model and, and where the cracks may eventually lead to huge fissures. This actually seems to become battleground number one right now in terms of athletes trying to get a bigger piece of, of the billions of dollars that they generate. Now, the law is supposed to take effect on January 1st. 2023. We'll see. Lawyers will have uh, have some say in that, I oh, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> this has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along 
with Eben Novi Williams. Scott, we miss you. Happy Happy New Year, Scott. We're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. And you can join us at the end of the week. We're speaking with John Levy, CEO of The Score, a sports media site uh, and also a sports betting site. So we'll talk about kind of how those things interwork uh, and the launch of The Score's betting. Oh, I've got some questions. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online wherever you get your podcasts.